from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we also veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. I want to, of course, thank some of my patrons. Janice, Hammer, Katerina, Robert, Florence, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette, Emily, Gabrielle, two Emmas, Bree, David, John, and Judy. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Now, this podcast is going to be on the Delphi murders, and it's going to be a little bit of a different format based on the topic and relevant information that's current. This time, my disclaimers are twofold. For legal reasons, I will say that all parties are innocent until proven guilty. But you guys know me, I have opinions, strong opinions. The second disclaimer is that this deals with the injury and murder of children, which is a very heavy topic, personal and upsetting. Actually researching and writing this one out was pretty stressful. Now, this case angers most all of us, probably all of us. So just take a deep breath, sit down, and let's get into it. So a little bit of background. Delphi, Indiana is located about a 15-minute drive northeast of Lafayette with the Wabash River running on the western side of the city. It is a small town with a population of roughly 3,000 people. Wabash and ErieCanal.org reported that in 1828, it was platted or mapped out and planned by the last surviving signer of the Declaration of Independence, Samuel Milroy. It was originally called Carrollton, but the name was rather quickly changed to Delphi, named after the ancient city in Greece. The area has a rich history with regards to the Wabash and Erie Canal, which was built mostly off of the backs of Irish immigrants, the hard way, wielding picks and shovels, hauling away debris in wheelbarrows and horse-drawn buggies. And of course, as were the times, there were incidences of cholera, fevers, accidents, snake bites, and fights would break out between the workers. Now, legend has it that many of the workforce that died at the job site were buried right where they fell. But nonetheless, the canal reached Delphi in 1840. An article from the local historical records states, quote, The whole town turned out to see the first boat come in on the raging canal drawn by three mules, made five or six miles per hour, end quote. Portions of the canal at Delphi were 80 to 120 feet wide around the area referred to as the Bayou of Delphi. This became a port with heavier traffic. Then in 1858, the railroad was built through this area which slowed the activities in the canal. 
Now, the Monon Railroad, which was also known as the Chicago, Indianapolis, and Louisville Railway, was the railroad that operated nearly entirely in the state of Indiana. The High Bridge, or what we know as the Monon High Bridge, was built in 1881 and crosses Deer Creek that runs off of the Wabash River. WLFI News reported it to be about 60 feet above the water and is the second longest and third highest railroad bridge. And after being in use for about 106 years, the last train crossed the bridge in 1987. After that, it just really sat, though the locals considered it a, quote, treasure. The area around it is rich in raw nature and includes walking and hiking trails. Though it was in serious need of attention and repair, many people walked across it. Predictably, it was used in many photography activities, such as senior pictures, wedding photos, and nature photographers in general. And it really is a beautiful historical monument. Liberty Rose Lynn, or Libby German, was born on December 27, 2002, to Derek and Carrie. Their relationship is pretty complicated, but... The couple also had an older daughter named Kelsey, who was a few years older than Libby. The two girls moved in with their grandparents when they were both quite little due to the fact that Derek and Carrie were battling some addictions when the girls were little, and at least they made a grown-up decision to know that they were in no place to raise children. Derek had been in and out of prison, but was living with the grandparents in Delphi, now, Carrie went on to get married to another man and have two more daughters. Everyone described Libby as a very outgoing and very much into sports. She played in the summer soccer league, softball, and was on the swim team in junior high. She excelled at math, and her grandfather stated she had wanted to grow up to be a scientist. Abigail Joyce, or Abby Williams, was born on June 23, 2003, to Anna Williams. Anna had gotten pregnant with Abby just out of high school, but she raised her as a single mother with the help of her family. Anna described Abby as a happy, healthy child. She made friends easily, and people really liked her. Abby loved animals, especially as well as reading. Now, Libby and Abby became close friends toward the end of their elementary years, and they were both on the volleyball team together. The besties also played saxophone in the school band. The two girls were nearly inseparable by junior high. So now we're getting up to the dates. Sunday, February 12th, was no different. Abby's mother had been watching the girls do some softball practice, and Anna said that Abby asked if she could spend the night at Libby's house, to which Anna agreed. On Monday, February 13th, 2017, school had been canceled. 14-year-old Libby and 13-year-old Abby decided they wanted to walk the trail that would take them across the Monon High Bridge. Libby sent her usual social media messages to her mother and then asked her grandmother, Becky, and remember, she and her husband had custody of Libby. Carrie was living in Kentucky at the time asked if she and Abby could go. Becky told them that that was fine as long as they could secure a ride there and back home. 
So Libby's older sister, Kelsey, agreed to drop the girls off at the beginning of the trail with the agreement that they would be picked up by Libby and Kelsey's father, Derek, not too long after. Kelsey dropped the girls off at 1.45 p.m. at the trailhead. Around 15 minutes after being dropped off at roughly 2 p.m., the girls were walking across the bridge. We know this because Libby got out her phone, pointed it at Abby, and took a Snapchat photo of her as they were walking across the bridge and posted it to her Snapchat story. The last posted Snapchat story on Libby's account was at 2.07 p.m. Less than an hour after the Snapchat story was posted, at 3.11 p.m., Derek sent Libby a text telling her that he was on his way to pick them up, but Libby never responded, which was most unlike her. So at 3.14 p.m., Derek arrived at the agreed-upon spot to pick the two girls up, but they were not there. He then called Libby's grandparents to tell them the girls weren't there, and at that point, the grandparents began trying desperately to get Libby to answer her phone. Kelsey called her mother in Kentucky, asking if she had heard from Libby as well, but she hadn't since that morning. A couple of sources said that it appeared that the phone had been turned off and was going straight to voicemail. Immediately after, the grandfather and Derek met at the trail and they began searching for the girls. There wasn't a lot of panic in the beginning. The family thought that perhaps the girls had decided to walk home and had wandered off somewhere else along the trail. That turned into fear that they had gotten lost or one of them had gotten injured and Libby's phone might have run out of battery. After 5 p.m., when they hadn't found any evidence of the girls, the real panic began to set in. It was at this point that the grandmother spoke with Anna to tell her about what had happened and that the girls were missing. At 5.30 p.m., the families contacted the local police to report that the girls were missing. Kelsey stated that she and her grandparents, along with hundreds of other locals, did a very detailed search of the forests around the bridge for hours with no success. Both families were also posting all over social media asking anyone if they had seen the girls and possibly knew where they were because this is a very small community and they were all connected on Facebook and Instagram and especially so when the kids all play sports together. Anna, Abby's mother, stated in an interview that they had to leave the sheriff's office around midnight. Still holding on to hope, it had dawned on someone that the late movie at the local movie theater would get out after midnight and perhaps the girls had gone to that. But no. So everyone went home and were immediately out early the next morning. Family members and volunteers were coming in and out of the area searching for the girls. It was reported that a local photographer who was helping to search for the girls that morning saw girls' clothing in Deer Creek about 75 yards from the bridge. Shortly after, allegedly, Libby's shoe was found on a small, secluded section of a driveway that winds down to a private residence. Another searcher reported seeing footprints around the creek area. Another searcher saw two deer cross the creek and used his cell phone to zoom in and pan the area. He was the one that saw what he thought were the bodies of the girls. 
Then around noon, Libby and Abby's bodies were found in a wooded area of private property about 50 feet or so from the creek, not even a mile upstream from the bridge. Though the authorities would not release details of the crime scene, they did say that it was, quote, disturbing. One site said that there were, quote, two to three specific signatures associated with the crime scene suggesting a serial killer was involved, end quote. So that's the story. That's awful. But let's move on to what little we've been shown or told about what happened as the police are keeping most all of the details very close to the vest and for good reason. Now, I must tell you that there are so many rabbit holes that you can go down with this case and it's very easy to get swept up in the gossip and the drama, people's own theories and speculations. There is someone who put together what is, in my opinion at least, the most plausible and believable timeline out of the many I looked at. So I will leave a link to that one down in the notes. Again, someday hopefully we'll actually know. Now, if you do go to this link, the person has done the math, including miles per hour, walking speed. I mean, all of it. Truly amazing. Now, we know that Libby and Abby noted there was a man walking behind them and catching up to them on the bridge, which is missing railroad ties. And there are sizable gaps between the ones still there, a.k.a. treacherous, soft and weak wood. And Libby had the presence of mind to get a video of this guy. This is the very small snippet of video most all of us have seen. The reason we even have this footage is because Libby's cell phone was found with her. It is believed that she turned her camera on and put the phone in her pocket facing the man, but there exists about a two minute long audio where Abby can be heard asking if the creepy guy was still following them, to which Libby replied, mm-hmm. And that statement is also not totally verified. The rest of that two whole minutes is a mystery until it is released, other than the man that can be heard ordering the girls to go down the hill. Now, the timeline would be for that man on the bridge, often referred to as bridge guy, caught up to them and approached slash cornered them at the very south end of the bridge at around 2.17 p.m. Again, based on walking speeds and the length of the bridge, you know, math. Bridge guy is then believed to have ordered the girls to go down a very steep hill, possibly by knife or gunpoint. Well, there are a few people who say that they can hear a gun being cocked in the back of the audio, but I can't verify that either. Getting to the bottom on more flat, stable ground has them now at 2.23 p.m. We do know for certain that a woman was crossing the bridge and taking photos of it at 2.49 p.m. and was facing in the direction of where the girls most likely were, and she stated from her very high vantage point that she saw nothing. And remember, this is February in Indiana. There's no foliage on the trees, nothing to encumber your view of the forest floor. Abby was wearing a red-colored shirt, which most certainly would have stood out, moving along the ground. And if you are like me and that you love hiking, you know that the forests are very quiet. Unlike the city where there are cars and horns and sirens and all manner of sound, 
Forests are silent, save birds chirping or maybe the wind rustling some leaves. So with this woman standing on the bridge taking photographs, she would have been able to hear leaves rustling, struggling, or screaming most certainly. Everyone, and I mean everyone, said Libby was a fighter and would not have backed down. This left Bridge Guy 26 minutes from the time he got them to the bottom of the hill, walked them through the woods, across the creek, to the area where he attacked and killed them, and then disappear before the woman on the bridge could have potentially seen anything. And that's assuming he killed them exactly in the spot where they were found and he didn't do whatever he did elsewhere and then dumped them there. I couldn't find exactly which, but all indications were that he did it there where they were found, in broad daylight. So the local authorities have released little to no information about the actual crime scene or what the girls suffered. There were some apparently, you know, quote, leaked texts from a distant family member saying that the girls had not been sexually assaulted. Abby was found clothed, posed with her hands on her chest, supposedly. Libby was allegedly found with no clothes on, with forced leafy litter on part of her body, be it the murderer had placed it on her or was a happenstance from the wildlife. Some alleged leaks also stated the girls had been strangled and stabbed, but again, there's no way to know if this is true or not. All we know for sure is that the police described the scene as disturbing. So for everyone listening, myself and I think I speak for my murder fam, we want this person caught immediately and dealt with swiftly. Now, as with any case that remains unsolved, there are a plethora of theories and ideas out there as to what actually happened. Some thought the girls or one of the girls had met someone online and they were going to meet them at the bridge and it turned out to be the bridge guy, but there's no evidence to support this theory at all. Neither of the girls had displayed any behaviors that would indicate this kind of sneaking. Another theory that Carrie, Libby's mother, spoke about was that they had witnessed drugs being manufactured out in the woods, maybe, so they had to be disposed of. She stated that it had been said someone had been making drugs out there that very day that the girls went missing, and she thought it at least plausible. Making meth in particular out in the woods and remote areas is very, very common. But one thing seems to hold true. This is indeed a very small town and there isn't really much outsider traffic. It is pretty well agreed that this man or whoever murdered the girls had to have been familiar with the area and know that the bridge existed and was aware of how dilapidated it was, meaning he must have been on it before to walk so quickly and comfortably across it. This indicates he would be local to Delphi or one of the neighboring cities like Lafayette. Experts also strongly believe the man most likely rehearsed his plan walking the route or the trail so that he'd be ready when a suitable victim came along. And then this brings us to the suspects. There have been a few, but I want to stress that they were just persons of interest and are in no way presumed guilty. Just covering my butt, guys. 
At first, the local police interviewed and executed search warrants on properties near the creek and bridge, but nothing came of those. A man named Daniel was the first suspect. He was apparently threatening people while holding a hatchet on a monument trail in Woodland Park, Colorado. He was arrested and it was determined that he was a registered sex offender and was driving a vehicle with expired Indiana plates. But he was completely eliminated as a suspect later. Another man, Thomas, was a pastor. He was charged with shooting and killing a woman as well as sexually assaulting two others after pointing a gun at them and ordering them to go into a back room of a religious shop in St. Louis, Missouri. Some said he fit the description of the bridge guy, even down to the blue jacket and flat cap. He was later charged with 17 felonies and could receive the death penalty. I didn't find out how or when he was ruled out, but he was. Then a man named Charles was arrested in Union City, Indiana, pretty far east of Delphi, and was charged with child molestation and child solicitation after having an inappropriate conversation with an undercover detective who was posing as a 13-year-old girl online. He, too, strongly resembled the grainy photo we have of Bridge Guy. People who knew him stated that he would spend a lot of time alone in the woods, not hunting, but he too is no longer a suspect. Another man, Paul, kidnapped and raped a 26-year-old woman in a town not too far from Delphi in 2019. Five days later, there was a standoff as the police had him surrounded and after five hours, he killed himself. He is no longer being considered a suspect as he was far older than the bridge guy was described. Now this brings us to the information you guys have been waiting for. The most recent person of interest, not yet a suspect, but they're looking into him, James Chadwell. I want to say again that he's being questioned as a person of interest at the time of this recording and hasn't been charged with anything involving Abby or Libby, but he's still fucking scum of the earth. James Brian Chadwell is a 42-year-old man with a dark past. Born on March 13, 1979, on his Facebook profile, he states he is originally from La Follette, Tennessee, and worked as a welder slash fabricator at Wabash National, which is a trailer manufacturer for tractor trailers, though at the time of his arrest, it was said that he had been laid off. His About page has him saying, Quote, my family and friends mean the world to me. I would gladly risk my own life to protect theirs. Life is too damn short to be wasted on unhappy times. I'm drug free, but high on life. End quote. So on April 19th of this year, so just a bit over two weeks ago, from this recording, James lured his nine-year-old, fairly close neighbor, a little girl, into his house by asking her if she wanted to pet his dogs. She entered the home where he then attacked her. He strangled her. Then when she regained consciousness, he forced her down into his basement where he chained her and assaulted her. It was said that he attempted to, well, you know, but that was not successful. So he forced her to perform fellatio on him. <sighs> 
He also apparently let his dog bite her lower leg. She was struck in the head multiple times and had been strangled so severely that it was reported in several sources that her eyes were black with blood and were actively bleeding and she had bruising around her neck. James threatened to kill her if she screamed or told anyone about what he did. Now, the girl's mother stated that she had been missing for about half an hour when she called the police to report her daughter missing. The block the girl lived on was having a block party, apparently, and so the police began knocking on doors around the neighborhood to try to locate the girl. They spoke with James, who said that, yes, the girl had come to his house wanting to pet his dogs, and then she left. The police asked to search his home, to which he agreed, and that's when they found the little girl, naked, I might add. The girl stated that he had to, quote, get dressed to go answer the door. I was also able to find his rap sheet, if you will, online, and I'll put the link to that in the notes as well, but James was arrested and charged with attempted murder, attempted intentional killing of another, child molestation, kidnapping where victim is less than 14 years of age, criminal confinement resulting in serious bodily injury, battery resulting in serious bodily injury, and strangulation, as well as two other outstanding warrants. He is being held, from what I read, on a $50,000 bond, which is unacceptable. Now, he's been in and out of prison his whole life, well, really since he was a teenager, his past arrests were April of 99, battery resulting in bodily injury misdemeanor. August of 99, battery resulting in serious bodily injury, illegal consumption of alcohol, and criminal recklessness. February of 2000, driving with a suspended license. April of 2000, criminal felony battery resulting in serious bodily injury. The very next month, felony receiving stolen property, battery resulting in serious bodily injury. 2001, felon in possession of a firearm in South Dakota. 2003, aggravated assault felony in South Dakota. And then 13 years later, July of 2016, operating a vehicle with a blood alcohol content of 0.15 or more, operating a vehicle while intoxicated, endangering a person. October 2019, operating a vehicle while intoxicated, prior conviction, resisting law enforcement, endangering a person. January of 2020, resisting law enforcement, knowingly or intentionally fleeing from law enforcement. July of 2020, criminal trespass, criminal mischief. August of 2020, less than a year ago. Criminal trespass, public intoxication, and life endangerment. Now, he willingly admits to being in prison for over 13 years for assaulting a police officer and a prison guard and that he was finding it difficult to be on the outside. James also has an ongoing case from 2017 for receiving stolen property and probation violations, but he was free during the time of the Delphi murders and had a hearing scheduled in April, two months later. His father also had to file a claim to evict James from a residence in Indiana in 2020, his own father. 
Since his arrest, some of his family members have been interviewed. One of his brothers stated that he believes James is, quote, absolutely capable of the Delphi murders. His brother was interviewed by Inside Edition, where he said, quote, he's a monster. Exactly. He is an absolutely evil person. He's shown numerous times, not only to his friends, but to his family as well, that he has that kind of evil streak in him, end quote. James's own stepfather was interviewed as well, and he had the same sentiments. The brother also stated that James tried to drown him when he was just four years old and that he should be locked away and never released. So again, I have to keep saying this and I can't stress it enough. As of this recording, he has not been officially linked to Abby and Libby's murders. But here is what the various news outlets and people in general are kind of pointing out as possible evidence. He has a tattoo of a little girl's face on the inside of his upper left arm, just above the elbow. The tattoo is of what appears to be a young girl's face, smiling with what looks like blood coming out of her eyes. The tattoo is eerily like a photograph of a smiling Libby, eerily as in nearly identical. Some say the tattoo was from before the Delphi murders, but James's brother that was interviewed says the tattoo was not there until after. And it is also a little uncanny how much he looks like the composite sketches of the person of interest. And side note, someone on his Facebook page actually said something about him looking different and shaving after he posted a picture of himself not long after the murders. People have drawn comparisons to a photo of him standing on a cliff somewhere compared to a picture of Bridge Guy, where James has his hands in his pocket, looks to have a very similar stature and leg shape, and so on as Bridge Guy. And I don't know how relevant this is, but James also loved to be out in the woods, taking many selfies of himself in forests, and even had a picture of a railroad bridge for what it's worth. In fact, in June of 2020, he posted, quote, sleeping under a bridge for a while till work starts, only 10 days, cool, dry, no neighbors, and the bridge is only six minutes from work. Be thankful for the little things, end quote. James also posted a lot on his social media about how he had, quote, wrecked everything and that he cried a lot, apparently. Another quote. I've had this schoolboy crush on this girl since the car wash and train trestle. I'm not what she deserves, but I'm trying to be something. Even if she never talks to me again, at least I'll know I was a part. Baby, please don't make me keep searching for you when I know exactly where you are. You will always be my dream girl. Can we just skip all the formalities? End quote. And another quote. So my life is going really well, but I want to wreck it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just know what is. This life seems so lackluster. I don't need more. I want to be more. End quote. Another post to Facebook, which I believe was from January of this year. He said, quote, I'm in love with a little redhead. You make my soul smile. I'll chase you till I can't walk then I'll chase you in my wheelchair, end quote. So read into that as you may. 
On TikTok in particular, the day before he lured the little girl into his house, the day before, he recorded a video stating, quote, So to all you little kids out there, my nose doesn't look like this because I cut myself shaving. If you want some, come get some. Quit preying on the little people. There's more than enough to go around. Come find me or I will find you, unquote. And he's referring to a little cut that he had on the bridge of his nose. Another subject of interest is that he has two other brothers, though the two supposedly have the different father, I believe. And both of them have had their fair share with troubles with the law. One brother was arrested in August of 2020 for domestic battery and strangulation of a person less than 14 years old. And I believe that they think that this was his own child. And the other brother was picked up and arrested for an outstanding warrant for failure to appear. But I don't know what the charge was to begin with. Still, these boys all have the same mother. Now, guys, as much as I want to, I don't have the time to nerd out on that biological aspect. But if you follow me on Instagram, I'm sure you're going to be familiar with my entire statement about the warrior gene that rides just on the X chromosome and so on. And if you would like for me to do a podcast on the more sciencey side of things, just let me know. And that's about all I could find on him so far. So again, this is all I have as of today, May 5th, 2021. If I have missed something, I do apologize. I mean, nothing but respect, especially to the victims. I've been actually living in a near constant panic attack, fight or flight for days now because of this case and researching it and digging and then the updates. We cannot say for sure that James is the bridge guy. So if it comes out that he is not the guy, we're just going to have to live with that. I trust the detectives and law enforcement working this case as they are all well aware the pressure that they are under to find the murderer. So all in all, this is a horrible story. While harming innocent people is unacceptable when it comes to children, it makes it exponentially infinitely worse. The fact that Libby had the presence of mind to get her phone out and record their pursuer is amazing. What a strong, beautiful girl. Well, both girls, really. My hearts go out to their families, as well as the nine-year-old girl's families. I'm so glad that she survived. So tell me, guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment on the video below if you're watching, or you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can always email me at SerialKillingInstagram at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I appreciate that. Thank you. Have a great day.